0: I know that statistically, you're supposed to ask people to subscribe, and that's what gets them to subscribe. That's true.
1: But at the very least, there's someone listening to this right now. Hopefully. Right? You're there, right? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) They're definitely there. Before we get started, I think we'll thank a few of our generous patrons that make this show possible. Yes,
0: thank you to Fernando. Thank you to Mandy Vermelier. And thank you, Jill M.
1: Yeah, thanks, guys. Also, thank you, Selena Luca, for uh, your faithful patronage. And thank you, Kyle Rudge and Allison Alexander. We really appreciate it. Matt here with a brief programming note. We're closing in on the end of our time with the wonderful weirdness of season one of Stranger Things. It's been a ride, but we're not done yet. Our discussion of the third act of season one was longer than usual, so we're splitting it in two. In this first part, Zach and I talk about the structure of the season, monsters, and the power of childlike innocence to overcome cynicism. Oh, and we apologize about a bit of unexpected mic noise. I leafed through a paper notebook, and it was a very bad idea. Please forgive me. Now, I hope you'll enjoy this episode of Stranger Still. And uh, today, we're going to look at the last, final third, the last act, if you will, of, uh, of season one. Uh, like our last episode, we're going to cover three episodes. We're going to do um, chapter six, the monster, the bathtub, and the final chapter, the upside down. Yes. It's a pretty powerful moments within every single one
0: of those episodes. I'm interested to see how we're going to distill mm-hmm. this down into bite-sized pieces.
1: There's there's too much, but uh, we certainly have uh, a few things we know we want to hit, um, and we want to dig into a little deeper, and uh, and one interesting observation I think we've made it, this observation before is how season one is really just a giant movie, mm. right? And uh, and it if eight episodes it doesn't work perfectly, but it does roughly break into thirds, and uh, these last three episodes is definitely the final act of the movie, and. Um, everything just it just picks up where each episode leaves off and uh we're just rushing towards the end now yeah it's very much rushing it's it's a it's a final thrust
0: Uh, all our characters are are kind of jettisoned into situations that they're very uncomfortable with and yeah the 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 summary at the end is is pretty powerful
1: (laughs) They're all being drawn back in now. Uh, I think Mm. the last episode we talked about how um, all the different groups, the kids, the teens, the adults had sort of fanned out uh, with their own individual missions. And now they're all being sort of drawn back together as they've discovered each in their own way, a little part of the mystery. And uh, and now they've got to deal with what they found. Mm. But uh, so chapter six, the monster. Um who's the monster, Zach? Some would say the Demogorgon.
0: <laughs> uh some would say maybe uh the unknown itself oh, could be the monster. Uh and I maybe it's a combination of both. I I like to think that the biggest enemy to each character in the show is the thing they don't understand the most. Mm. Uh you can take pretty much every character in the show and break down what they're least comfortable with very easily. And all of them encounter that thing over the course of the season. And by the end coming into chapter six, where we're, we're kind of just beginning to deal with the most clear example to me, uh, I actually just watched the beginning of the episode six before, before coming uh, to, to record this. And Steve, Confronting the fact that Nancy and Jonathan are together, you know, he, the, the first scenes in the in the episode is he's driving down the road with his goofball friends who are kind of riding on him because he's worried about Nancy. Tommy and Carol, they're, you know, like people people ride Steve pretty hard. Tommy and Carol, I think, might be the most despicable characters in the entire season.
1: They're I mean, just, they're just, there's nothing. There's no
0: redeemable quality. No, there, you know, no. But anyway, so Steve approaches uh, Nancy's house and. As a side note, I always like to reference uh, Nightmare on Elm Street when I think of Steve crawling into Nancy's window. Somebody out there is going to appreciate that reference. Still, um,
1: still have never watched any of those movies. Well,
0: Johnny Depp's character always crawls into the, the the main character's window in the same kind of way, like looking in. And see. I knew, I knew it. It felt classic. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's it's for sure a reference. But anyway, uh, so Steve Steve is looking in the window. He's thinking he's going to find his love interest, and she's with another guy. And this begins Steve's. Long, well, short. I guess more over the course of two episodes, spiral into into horribleness, and then uh, and then later redemption.
1: Because yeah, we gotta really when you see that for the first time in the episode, it's like, how is this this high school jock, this bully? You know, well, I mean, he hasn't he he's unsavory, right? For the you don't have a good feeling about Steve through most of the first season, and so you think what. What is this revelation going to cause him to to do, right? What will his reaction be? And it's that that reaction um, that leads to sort of all the other interesting Steve developments. But uh, we'll we'll talk about Steve maybe a little bit more later. Mm. But uh, but certainly there's some good there's some good things there. Um, when I was thinking of the monster, uh, I'm thinking specifically in. Chapter six: the scene where the where Mike and Dustin are reunited with L, um, and that's something we kind of glossed over. I think in the last episode, we didn't really um, spend too much time on Chapter five when uh, in our discussion. But L and the kids have had their sort of falling out. Right um, when this episode uh, when when this episode starts, they're split. The party is broken. And uh, they've gone looking for Elle and uh, Lucas and Mike are on the rocks at the moment. And uh, mostly, well, I mean, because Elle is a superpowered child um, who doesn't know how to control her own emotions.
0: As Dustin conveniently points out at the beginning of the episode, you were all out of line.
1: (laughs) Yeah, everyone. Except me. No one to blame there. um, And the only person that you could, you know, that you can feel 100% good about, definitely Dustin. (laughs) but uh when i think of that line i think of um l telling mike that she's the monster and i don't know why that always sort of hits me right in the gut because here's this this kid who has had nothing but been surrounded by nothing but monsters Mm. and uh and she thinks that she's the monster when you when you take that
0: idea and you apply it to what I I was talking about earlier in terms of the unknown. Mm -hmm. um, It really makes sense for Elle's character. She doesn't know who she is. Her identity is a mystery to her. Uh, She doesn't know what she's supposed to be or how she's supposed to act. Every social scenario she comes across is this great mystery. And sometimes it's a beautiful discovery that she makes uh, good friends, like Mike. uh, Or sometimes it's uh, a horrible discovery that she makes in terms of how people are acting. Uh, it's it's always one extreme or the other, it seems. Mm. And her drawing the conclusion that she's at the center of this conflict that's happening to her closest friends now, that she's only known for a short while, and yet they're the only friend that she's ever had. And that she can cause damage there. Yeah. Uh, that she can be the person who throws them apart. Which, from her perspective, is this infinitely damaging thing you know probably lucas and mike and dustin have had their share of of spats and and mm-hmm. uh, separations in the past and they're used to this thing but
1: when el, el sees it it's this huge horrible uh, catastrophe that she's caused she's she's the monster and it's just this new thing that she finds out that she needs and that she loves mm. and uh, and she may have had a hand in in breaking it and she's connecting all the dots too. It's even more than just uh, you know that little friend group. She's connecting the dots that she sees that what happened to Will is connected to what happened at the lab, and of course she's just you know she's done everything she's supposed to do. Right? She's listening to Doctor Brenner. She's doing what Papa has asked her to do. She's done everything right, and then all these things happen anyway, and it goes back to the, her not knowing not having any other experience right um just this this horrible sort of exploitation of of her and um and it's just of course beautiful that she just before saying that saves mike's life right after (laughs) he launches himself off a cliff so that his friend doesn't get his teeth removed by some (laughs) It's a sadistic, troy uh, yeah. Troy is it troy <laughs> speaking of is that a, I, I think it's troy speaking of irredeemable characters yeah those two kids man Oof. at least the other guy told him to like to knock it off <laughs> you know you, you're really gonna stab this kid in the mouth troy yeah. you're really gonna stab this kid in the mouth <laughs> it's probably a bad idea my goodness Oof.
0: i guess i guess if you were to point out like two tropish the most tropish characters in the show they'd probably be like they're the bullies they're just the bullies yeah (laughs) they're just they're just
1: evil guys they're just they're yeah they're cardboard cutouts that's fine on that uh question of l being the monster though uh i did i wrote wrote down a quote um just because it always it just always strikes me every time i hear it when uh so she's got mike there and dustin's there she just broke troy's arm um but she says the gate I opened it. I'm the monster. And Mike tells her, no, you're not the monster. You saved me. Do You understand? You saved me. Hmm. And, um, and there's a lot left unsaid there, but just the idea of like, what does it take to, to save a life? Not like literally or specifically in a specific situation, but like what she does There, right? She comes back to a situation that frightens her, right? So she faces her fear. She goes back to where she thinks she's maybe not welcome, and um, you know maybe she doesn't have a place anywhere. You know that's probably an underlying fear uh, for her character, right? She doesn't want to go back to the lab. She's sort of burnt the bridge that she found in uh, in Mike and the and the party with the other kids but she goes back anyway and she's able to, so she makes that sacrifice and, and saves him. And of course what Mike's trying to tell her is that goes, first of all, if she is connected to this, you know, the upside down, the monster, that goes a lot, that goes far in repairing sort of what damage has been done, right? Those sorts of sacrifices, but also he's just saying something about her, right? That she's been, manipulated into a lot of these things that these aren't things that she wants to do what she wants to do is save her friends Mm. and uh, and that's much more true to her character i think than um you know what what brenner would have have her be i think there's um
0: there's a comparison a slight comparison but one to be drawn anyway between the demogorgon and l in that both of them are mysteriously powerful and yet one one is extremely motivated for one purpose, and that is to eat <laughs> and maybe not even just to eat, but to to uh, it's almost uh, an incomprehensible evil. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we look at at uh, a at Troy, you know, the bully kid, you know, he's just a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, the Demogorgon seems to just want to cause calamity. Yeah. And the parallel to be drawn to the Demogorgon and L is that Elle has this mysterious power that she doesn't understand. And when she sees things breaking around, down around her and she associates it with who she is as a person, she can't help that she's that person. And yet she is. She can do these things that people don't understand. And then she sees that it can cause just as much calamity uh, as a organ can cause, you know, if mm-hmm. if she had the improper motivations, and yet uh, the the beautiful part of the relationship between her and Mike is that Mike is always tempering and helping her to adjust to the fact that she is in control.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not other people telling her that she's evil, other people making her do evil things, whether it be destroy a life of an animal for an experiment's sake or. Uh, simply to uh, display her powers in a way that she's not comfortable with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She's in control. She can do it. She's broken free of those cages, and now the 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 right or left turn is up to her.
1: She doesn't have to be a monster,
0: right? 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 She, she could be. Which, when I think down to season two, which we won't talk about too much, mm-hmm. but a lot of that is explored in terms of how she makes her decisions to go down a wrong or right path and yeah. coming close to realizing that you know, there are some comfortable motivations with being an evil person as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it feels good. It, it gives you uh power. It gives you control.
1: Yeah. And the, you know, what brings her back always, I think through the, through the series has been that, that experience that she has, In the basement with those kids, Mm -hmm. right? That of feeling a part of something, feeling like she has friends, a family, a place uh, to be. That's not that's not purely exploiting her, right? Like she's worth something beyond what she's able to to do for for people. Because even as much as she's a help to the group, she's helping them because she wants to help them, right? It's not, it's not like if she doesn't help that they would want nothing to do with her. They would still go and try to help Will, you know, that that's what they want to do, but she wants to help them because she wants to be with them and they are happy to have her. Mm. It's just this whole, the, the you know, it's a very strong sort of found family um thread that runs through stranger things, even though there's a whole bunch of families, but the sort of the way the party works, the way, um, the way sort of all like the the outcast characters come together too. There's a a strong found family aspect, which is, which is always, you know, it's always wonderful to see because it's as powerful as sort of the connections that we have to people are. The fact that you can just forge those, Mm. um, is, is remarkable, really, right? That you can make anyone uh, a brother, or anyone can be your mother. If you look at Joyce, uh, right, who's just able to, she just has this overwhelming amount of care to, <laughs> to uh, care and anxiety to, to lavish on people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and you know we see that in in the bathtub in chapter seven when uh, she when, you know they find out that l could help them see if they can find will and barb and uh and joyce isn't just using l there either so we just see this very different sort of approach between of course the, the government uh experiment type of approach to um using someone as a resource and and then the more the relationship that L has with these these people, the buyers, the Wheelers, um, and of course, you know, we're meant to see that that's that's the valuable relationship there, um, and it's a it's a beautiful thing. Mm. I really uh really like it.
0: Yeah, there's the that reaching across boundaries as well between the Wheelers and the buyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have Karen joining joyce towards the end the last three episodes in her worry of what's up with my kids why are they acting yeah. so strange <laughs> um why is nancy not talking to me and yeah you know, i see there's a sleeping bag in her room at the foot of her bed and why is that there and she the just windows ran open ran out for absolutely no reason she missed out on those blueberry pancakes which oh she, yeah oh man i'm jealous <laughs> um so but towards the end you see the the same kind of motherly desperation come from the upper middle class family as to mm-hmm. the the more on the poverty line lower class family who's just kind of scraping by and and they come together under this united idea that this is for the good of our community this is for the good of our friends and our kids and their friendship and yeah. and the unifying factor is so much more than what they might have considered to be important a few episodes ago. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing.
1: And that just makes me think of, of sort of the role that the kids play in, in this story. And when you think of, you know, the, the, the the leveling factor where like you become kids become friends and then like families who would have normally have nothing to do with one another, um, become connected because the kids don't see any of that separation, any of the the barriers between, you know, classes of people or different groups of people. And um, so, you know, they're able to, Karen's able to bring a casserole over to, to Joyce when she's in full crazy mode and the, and the lights are up and, <laughs> you know, she's able to do that because of... Of that relationship that's already there maybe it's not a personal relationship between them but you know just because the kids are friends you have these connections that wouldn't otherwise be there
0: i think uh i think innocence transforms us as an adult to to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do for the sake of preserving that innocence
1: hmm. uh
0: i was actually pl- i was playing with my son i have a i have a one and a half year old son uh, who was running away from me today to play hide and seek. And I I ran into the kitchen and I find him in the corner and he sees me walking into the kitchen. And as he sees me walking in in an effort to hide himself further, he closes his eyes. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you know, I can still see you, right? But then before the, I let the words, you know, come out of my mouth, I'm like, wait a minute. This is going to be way much more fun for him if I actually just walk around <laughs> looking for him and then come back and find him. And so I, you know, if it was an adult doing that for me, that would be ridiculous. Of course, <laughs> you'd just be like, come on. like, you're playing around. What a little kid. You see that innocence, you see that mystery and wonder, and and you want to participate. You want to be an active part of that. You missed that. You mm-hmm. something that you used to have, you know, And I, we've spoken to that in, in previous episodes of, mm-hmm. of how do we, how do we connect with our childlike selves still? Is that something that we've lost completely? And most of the time it's not, but there are elements that boy do we appreciate. And we see that with these kids who have such a pure relationship with each other and such motivation to even put themselves in harm's way for the sake of a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, which
1: yeah. I was it's 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 what I think it's what makes stranger things work, and it's what it does so well, is that you have these you know, it's just the the very idea that it's a show. You know, it's it's geared towards adults, obviously. Like, you know, this isn't a kids show, but it's a show for adults, starring kids in the. You know, they are the center of of the of the story of the narrative, and it shouldn't work, right? It's like this adult show about kids. But that's exactly why it works, and uh, and I think I read that the uh, the Duffer Brothers got like rejected left and right all over the place because of that that sort of dissonance between mm-hmm. what the story, the subject matter of the story, and like the characters who they focused on the most. And I love that they stuck with that mm-hmm. because that's what that's what makes I think the whole story tick. Because if this was like. If this was just about Hopper and Joyce, it'd be true detective and, you know, it'd be depressing and it would be a good, you know, maybe it would be a good prestige drama or something, yeah. but it, it wouldn't be the type of thing that I would go back and watch again. Mm. But really, I think what gets me coming back to this again and again is, is what the kids have to have to remind us of. Like you just saying, right? Like you're with your, with your son, one and a half. It's not about seeing him in the corner there it's about something a little bit more mm. than completing the game of hide and seek yes and uh, and i think that's what's that's what's happening a lot when when people are rewatching stranger things as sort of like this comfort watch it's because there's there's something really valuable there's something there that we that we want either that we feel that we don't have or that we want to recapture right there's a lot of I think there's a lot of that especially I think I think that gets glossed over in the talk about nostalgia and why people why it's so popular right and so then you see people trying to capitalize on that idea that oh it's because it's there's Walkmans and there's walkie-talkies and uh, banana seats on the bikes and stuff but you know I've watched a lot of the just the nostalgia fodder stuff that's come after Stranger Things and it's a a lot of it's not not great. <laughs> a lot of it's not so good. Um, so some of it's fine, but it's you, you can tell that they they don't have the the heart isn't there. It's not the same thing. It's uh, you know it might have been a a good story anyway, but then they just sort of pasted on all this these like trappings of it's like retro trappings, and uh, that's that's not what it's about though. I think it's really about sort of that that earnestness in the kids. And that's what I think people do feel nostalgic for that. Um, but it has nothing to do with it being the 80s. I think it has to do with adults watching kids yeah. do something. And uh, and what the Duffer Brothers are good at is I think, getting into the mind of, of kids. Because I remember so many, so many scenes uh, with those kids where I'm just thinking, man, I've also told my friends that I didn't have just one best friend, right? I could not bring myself <laughs> to have to... Relegate one of my friends to non-best friend status, right? You have like two or three, and like, no, man, all you guys are my best friend. <laughs> we're We're all best friends together. and uh, and the fact that we don't even it doesn't even concern us anymore, right? like mm-hmm. who's who's your best friend? Yeah And as yeah, as guys in there around thirty is uh, <laughs> I think our problem is not having just not having people that you see that you can call friends right right Uh, yeah
0: it's it's uh there's an egocentric uh aspect to it we people are friends with me i've become a person who Mm. people want to be friends with and that's something that develops over the course of your lifetime and you you ebb and flow within that balance of of innocence or or self-importance and you're right it is it's it's the the duffer brothers have done a great job of taking a nostalgic time period but not just focusing on what people find nostalgic within that period focusing in on the on the heart of the children who are there and mm-hmm. and it's something you know which is the reason why as you said i think that the show caught fire as well as it did is because this isn't a show for 80s kids this is a show for anybody who's looking for a sense of what kind of, uh, heart and beauty and, and, uh, and soul there is to be found within people coming into circumstances in which they have to say yes or no to really difficult decisions. Mm. And then moving on from those decisions, what happens and how does it develop? And
1: And generally, you know, pretty normal people. Yeah. People that we can largely identify with, Mm. um, And, you know, with the addition of interdimensional monsters and, uh, you know, telekinetic children. I'd like to say that we all deal with those things as well. I mean, in some, in some way. Exactly. There's there's just levels. There's levels to it. Thanks for listening to this first part of our final episode covering season one of Stranger Things. We can't wait to get metaphysical with you in part two. If you're enjoying Strangers Still, the best way you can help us and support the show is by telling a friend about it. Just one friend. That's it. And friends don't lie. Remember?